looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Pop culture, social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dwoskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Billy. Thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week, and this week was no exception. Welcome, everybody, to episode 76 of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show. As always, I am your host, Jeff Dewaskin. Great to have you back for another amazing episode. Episode 76. This is our first episode on the climb to our next milestone of 100 episodes. We're going to get there. We're going to get there together. I'm excited to be on this journey with you. I'm also excited to reveal my guest for this week, Ron James. That's right. Canadian comedy legend, Ron James. CCA's Comedian of the Year. Star of two of his very own TV shows, Black Fly and the Ron James Show, legendary for his record-breaking New Year's Eve specials over a span of nine years. And Ron is here to share so many great stories, but also exciting news. Just released his book, All Over the Map, Rambles and Ruminations from the Canadian Road. We talk all about his book. And afterwards, you can walk, nay, run to get your own copy. My conversation with Ron James is coming up in just a few minutes. I hope you had a chance to catch last week's episode with Christine Blackburn, episode 75. Huge milestone episode for me here at Live from Detroit, the Jeff DeWaskin Show. Hopefully you got a chance to check out Christine's podcast, Story Worthy. You won't be disappointed. Also, if you're looking to not disappoint, head on over to jeffisfunny.com, sign up for my mailing list, buy me a coffee, listen to all my podcast episodes. Use the button there that says follow and follow me on your favorite podcast app. Doesn't matter which one. Good Pods, CastBox, Apple, Google, iHeart, Spotify, Audible. We're everywhere. We're everywhere. You can't hold us down. Tell all your friends about the podcast. That's the greatest thing you can do for us. We appreciate every referral we get. Got a team here of 650 people working day and night to put the show together week after week. And we all appreciate your support. Tweet at us, at Jeff DeWaskin Show. Instagram at us, at Jeff DeWaskin Show on Instagram. Love to hear from you. If you listen to an episode, if you comment at us, we'll comment back. We love, 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 love hearing from our fans. Also, don't forget to follow me on YouTube. We live stream our show, Crossing the Streams, every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Facebook, YouTube, and now the Fireside app, so you can follow us there. It's very cool, interactive. We talk about TV shows you should be watching, so I know you're always looking for something to watch. This is the show for you. If you hop on Fireside, if you have an iOS phone, if you have an Apple phone, you can actually come on stage and talk to us about the show we're talking about or pitch one of your own. Super fun stuff. So check that out every Wednesday, 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. Best way to keep up is follow me on YouTube at The Jeff DeWaskin Show on YouTube. While you're on YouTube, you can check out the 40 plus hours of previous episodes of Crossing the Streams. Lot there for you, folks. Lot there for you. And now it's time for the social media tip. This is the part of the show where I share a little bit of my social media knowledge with you. A little 411 I picked up on the street. Today's tip. Hashtag consistency. Do a little research when you're using hashtags. Hashtags, as you know, I'm a big fan. 
We do a little hashtag roundup roundup at the end of every episode. Look for that in today's episode as well after the interview with Ron James. But specifically, I want to focus on when you're live tweeting a very specific event or show. Use the hashtag that everyone's using. Don't make up your own. So many times, like if you're watching the Emmys, they'll put on TV Emmys 2021, and then people will do Emmys or the Emmys. And everyone's using a different hashtag, which means you have all these different conversations flying around. Use the one that's the main one, and that'll give you the most visibility because when people click on the hashtag, it's a search of those tweets or posts on Instagram, and that's where you want to be. And that's the social media tip. I hope you enjoy the tips. If you listen to all the episodes and string them together, you'll get one giant repository of social media tip amazingness. So definitely dive into every episode. And after you're done diving, allow me to thank you for your constant support of my sponsors week after week. I can't thank you enough. It means the world to me. When you support our sponsors, you're supporting us here at Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dwoskin Show. And that means a lot to me. Today's sponsor is Zelinsky Auto Parts. Hey, America, if you need spark plugs, ball joints, gaskets, camshafts, anything that can be screwed or glued to that car or truck of yours, it's time for you to head over to Zelinsky Auto Parts and ask for Ray directly. Because Ray's got a guarantee for you. Ray backs every one of his auto parts. He's got a guarantee for you. A guarantee he believes so much in, he stamps it on every box. That's right. There's no avoiding that guarantee. But more importantly is the guarantee that he makes from his heart to every American worker. That's right. At Zelensky Auto Parts, they want to make sure that every truck on the road is getting the job done. And most importantly, he wants to make sure that your kids are safe when you take them for a ride in your vehicle. So if you're looking for quality, look no further than Zelensky Auto Parts. Car parts for the people they care about, the American working people. 1,200 stores nationwide. So I hope that helps you. There's always that one person out there going, oh, I needed auto parts. Oh, this was great to hear. Just tell them you heard about them from live from Detroit, the Jeff Tawaskin Show. All right. Well, without further ado, I think it's time to share with you my amazing conversation that I had with Canadian legend and comedian author Ron James. You're going to love it. Enjoy. All right, everyone. I'm excited to introduce you to my next guest. Comedian, actor, and now author. Ladies and gentlemen, Canadian legend, Ron James. Ron, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Nice to be border hopping. <laughs> Good to have you in the United States for just a few minutes, even if just via audio. I'm sure my IRS infraction from 1992 is going to show up. So yeah, I read, I read about that in your book. What, what happened there? Somebody could bust your door down at any minute. Yeah, I hate that. What, what happened? You the time you were in LA, just they, there was some mis miscommunications. I had my income tax done at the mall by an H and R Block accountant, who, may I say, also played an accountant on an episode of Mannix, ah. which is one of those intersections between reality and show business that always happened in Los Angeles. You'd be at the grocery store and you'd be behind somebody who you remembered from an episode of Mary Tyler Moore. Right. Everybody's somebody. Anyway, so uh, he put a decimal in the wrong place. And apparently I owed them $2,000. I thought I owed them 2000 I got back to Canada in 93. So it would have been two years. So it would have been yeah, 91. And it had doubled to 4000 Hey. 
And I'd gone back and forth to America afterwards when I was still throwing my hat in the ring. And even though I'd negotiated with the IRS agent who every conversation I could hear the ventricles in that bureaucrat's heart freezing, like he'd been transforming into a white walker. I was always scared that I was going to be pistol whipped on the wrong side of Pearson International Airport in Toronto and dragged into the waiting room for a Gitmo jumpsuit fitting. But it was all right. I got through it. It was uh, the crucible of LA many, many years ago was instrumental in siring my Canadian dream to make it work here. And several experiences came into play as a result of that. I.e., for instance, the show I went down to do, my talk show, sold to Ron Howard's company way back in 90. And to make a long story short, there was an internal shakeup at the company. And out of an original cast of eight, three of us were left. It was a show that was sold to syndication. We shot six half-hour shows a week, improvised them. The infamous impresario of Second City came in to tutor us, Del Close. Anyway, we were in Newsweek on Tuesday with the caption, the cult show to watch this season, like Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. We were canceled on Thursday. And Monday, I was chest deep in a hole on the front lawn of the actor Robert Urich's stately mansion in Encino, pulling out a rotted bush. And the man who just played Jake Spoon on the riveting miniseries Lonesome Dove walked out the front door dressed for the polo fields in Santa Monica. And my buddy Jay, whose dad owned the landscaping company, pointed at this mud street troll in a hole and said, hey, Bob, this is my buddy Ron. He's an actor, too. So I knew that it was going to be a long journey. Then I signed up for Amateur Night at Bud Friedman's Improv on Melrose in January of of 91. I got on stage in April 30th of 91 with 30 other people and I was given five minutes and I thought, this is ludicrous. The attrition rate, I'll never, I had a wife and daughter to feed. I thought this is not going to work, but I kept at it. You know, I'd sign up for Amateur Night so I'd read my prose that I was writing a one-man show at the time, Adventure of Boulevard Amateur Night Coffee Houses, where I shared the stage with what I'm sure were the illegitimate spawn of the Charles Manson clan who wandered down from their Chatsworth Warrens looking for the love that Charlie never gave. Whatever chrysalids might have been sired at those Charles Manson orchestrated orgies at Spawn Ranch. I'll guarantee you, brother, a couple of them were on stage at that amateur night looking for the love that Charlie never gave. So it was that. It was the constant competition in Los Angeles. And I knew I learned a hard and fast lesson in pursuit of the American dream, uh, that the ultimately the individual's responsible for themselves. After getting a lot of commercials, well, not a lot, but I did okay. I didn't go incredibly broke, but it was tough and lean and guest starring spots here and there, but never enough to plan a future with a family. And I wanted to feed my own on my terms, not somebody else's. And the constant grind got exhausting. And so we hauled out up stakes and moved back to Canada. And I wrote a one-man show about my time in L.A. called Up and Down in Shaky Town, One Man's Journey Through the California Dream, which premiered on the Comedy Network with two of my now expat 
brothers in arms, very talented and bulletproof act of Jeremy Hotz and Russell Peters, who moved to LA and grew a money tree. And now he takes an elevator to his bedroom. Yeah, so it was instrumental in making me take charge of my career. And that's the only reason I'm talking to you now is because a long time ago, I did not snatch the sitcom grail and I came home instead. But America and the myth of the American dream has always stayed fertile in my mind. From a Canadian point of view is when you decide you're going to go into acting or comedy or something like that, is the mindset in Canada go to America? I mean, there's so many famous Canadian. Yeah, there's famous Canadians and Canadians love stroking our own who've got famous elsewhere. It's like I say, I mean, you don't get a street named after you in Scarborough because you've done five episodes of Murdoch Mysteries. You get a street named after you in Scarborough when you're Mike Myers. And he worked hard for that. Mike and I were in the company together in Second City. We still keep in touch. He worked hard. It was very competitive and fiercely so on Saturday Night Live. We started in Second City together. I started with a lot of people who some, you know, not everybody who's in Second City gets to become Mike Myers, Tina Fey, Bill Murray, or John Candy. And I think that ambition is built into the institution of the place, uh, when in effect, you know, it should be about the work. But when you're making 350 bucks a week, doing eight shows a week, it stands to reason that you might want to make more. And some have reaped big boons in the land of opportunity, while others travel the roads of Second City Purgatory. I wasn't ready for that, though. I wanted to write my own ticket, and I eventually did. And I had to make it work in Canada because my wife at the time wanted to raise our children here. And we had a second daughter. We've since separated a dozen years or so, I think. But my daughters, I'm glad, you know, my daughters were raised here. And, but I've been back. And it's nice going back to Los Angeles with a little bit more in your pocket <laughs> than you did when you were struggling. Like any big urban city, it's a tough place to raise a family when you're eking out an existence. It's been a good run. However, look, the wide world over. We're all on the same page now, brother. That's right. The great equalizer. The plague came calling. And it's the same in every country. The same adage from the 14th century holds true. When a plague passes through an unknown person, but I read it at the beginning of COVID, it said, uh, what's weak breaks, what's strong holds, and what's hidden is revealed. And I think that can be seen on a personal level, as well as a professional level and a political level. Like we were talking before you turned on the machine, you adapt. The whole pandemic definitely changed everything and kind of opened the doors and tons of creative things came out. And Tectonic shift of the psychic paradigm. You either survive or you don't. I ended up streaming New Year's specials from my living room. I'd already done nine one-hour specials at the CBC. They were a record-breaking number. And I had two television series that I created and starred in. But the specials were always my pride and joy because I could hone sometimes half the material of the hour on the road. And then I'd come back to my writing crib and bang it out in the summertime and then film it in the fall and edit it. And then it'd be ready for delivery New Year's Eve. And it became a viewing tradition in Canada. But I made the mistake of letting my hair go white. Ageism is alive and well. You know, I opened for SCTV. I did audience warm-up 
Martin Scorsese directed the special for Netflix. It's not on yet. And shot at the 2,500-seat Elgin Theater in downtown Toronto and hosted by Jimmy Kimmel. I had the set of my life, standing in the wings, watching the show, and this tall gentleman with a multimillionaire's haircut looked down at me and said, that's a very good set. I said, thank you very much. It was Ted Sarandos, the head of Netflix. I said, thank you very much. I said, you've seen a lot of great comedy. He said, yes, I have, and that was a great set. Well, I chased the head of Netflix down for weeks on end and never heard back. And I came to the conclusion that, yes, age is only a number, but in television, that number has COVID. So I just keep going forward. I just keep writing. I've got my book coming out and I'm looking forward to the day when I can get back on stage again. And I mean, I've played the border cities. I've played Windsor Casino, 5,000 people and Rama here with 5,000 where all your great acts perform. It was a nice feeling that all those people from your state who gamble at Caesars and Windsor came to the show and never left, which is the highest of compliments, apparently, at casinos, right? Because they're strapped into a Depends, blowing their children's university money, hoping three lemons will line up and change their life. And the last thing they have on their mind is how funny the comedian is. But Jesus, they stayed. So God bless them. That's a good thing. Hey, well, don't get, don't let this ageism thing. I mean, I feel like Steve Martin and Martin Short are just hitting a new stride right now. They are hitting a new stride and it's not, it's not getting to me, but you have to keep in mind that they've reinvented themselves from a level of fame they already had. And I'm not trying to negate, I mean, I'm feel healthy and exercise all the time. And, but when you're recreating yourself, Steve Martin was a galvanizing influence as a stand-up of his generation. His films were wonderful. His stand-up was wonderful. I remember when he and Robin Williams uh, had, uh, I mean, what a great time it was in the late 70s to be a kid. I mean, to be coming into an interest in comedy. You had Saturday Night Live with Belushi and Aykroyd just killing it, right? And Gilda was on then. And then Robin Williams appeared in 78, I think. And it's, wow, where's this cap coming from? And Steve Martin was there pushing the parameters of what had been traditional comedic structure. George Carlin was still there. Years later, I even discovered, you know, I discovered Billy Conley. And so there were a lot of people. And of course, when I was 15 or 16, I had the Richard Pryor replacement show in the summertime and Jonathan Winters in a room with boxes of hats and a rocking chair in front of a locked off camera. It was remarkable television. And Marty, of course, with SCTV, it's incredible that man's fortitude, resilience, and longevity, hugely talented. So for them to recreate themselves in their elder years, I think Marty's 72 and Steve Martin is 74, isn't he? It's hard to know because Steve Martin's always looked this age. He has, he has, but they're Tony Award-winning totemic individuals in the comedic pantheon. The correct thing, too is they were famous in America. Celebrity is an oxymoron in Canada. It's why Scientology never really caught on here, right? Because you don't have a gone clear deity like Tom Cruise espousing the virtues of Xenu who dropped his people into a active volcano 10 million years ago from DC-9s. Just not gonna, no Canadian is gonna join a cult because somebody from CBC television told them to. But when you've got that level of status, I'm sorry, you're not a Scientologist, right? No. Anyway, it's just one of those things. It's hard to explain. And it sounds when you explain it that oh, you're just bitter. I'm not bitter. I'm happy. I'm just a realist. 
but the years in the industry have made me. So when you say fame in Canada as an oxymoron, you're considered huge in Canada though, right? I mean, you've had multiple television shows, your New Year's Eve specials that you mentioned are record-breaking, millions of people tune in every New Year's Eve to watch you. Is it that they just think more of people that were also famous in the United States, like a Ryan Reynolds, or you mentioned Mike Myers, or Michael J. Fox, or Jim Carrey, or something like that? Is it just, there's more of a an allure to that? Well, there's always been an allure to it. I don't know if it's a precedent-setting mandate in the industry. And to try to figure out the industry and what executives are thinking in Canada, you, you got better chances of deducing the riddle of the Sphinx bearing across the empty sands of Egypt. I mean, what are they thinking? You know, you hear different things. Nobody wants to see anything in a script that's got somebody over 50 in it. Uh, CBC is notorious for nepotism. Oh, you've got a show on the CBC? Oh, well, we know who you are. We'll give you another one. Where other people who make those pitches don't get that opportunity. You know, it's like Del Close used to say all the time, if you're in show business, don't expect justice. There's always these complexities and Machiavellian minefields you have to negotiate and whatever gatekeeper is minding the door, who likes you, who doesn't. These myriad numbers of of opinions, which was truth be told, bro, it was my motivation to blaze my trail across the big wide open and start playing theaters by myself. You know, I booked my first tours around the frozen lip of Lake Superior in the dead of February. I was dodging logging trucks whose ass ends swayed into the side of my road on two lane roads way up smack dab in the heart of the Canadian Shield, scoured granite hard by retreating glaciers. You'd swear they just left yesterday. And it was an epiphany. And that's what really gave me such joy and really poured the foundation for the specials to come was stepping beyond the myopic perimeter of the big smoke, which is the vernacular for Toronto, and booking myself everywhere and anywhere but a club circuit because it was very lean in Canada. You know, it's one of the things about New York, for instance, you can throw a stick and hit half a dozen clubs in a mile radius, can't you? Yes. I don't know what it's like in Detroit, but anyway. And I had to start making a little bit more money than the clubs would pay because I had two kids now and a mortgage now. And I uh, I did. And it made all the difference in the world. I took the road less traveled, to quote Robert Frost. That's what's been so bittersweet about the pandemic is uh, we haven't been able to. I stepped off stage in Hamilton, the sister city to Toronto around the corner of Lake Ontario, what we call the Golden Horseshoe. We had 2,000 people in the theater that night, uh, March 7th, 2020. I stepped off stage and um, other than a gig in Newfoundland and the most uh, magical place in the world, by the way, if you ever get a chance, if you don't leave that rock in the middle of the North Atlantic with a smile on your face and a spring in your step, there's not a medication in the world will put one there. So it was nice to be on stage in front of a smaller audience and stuff for a writer's festival. But for the most part, like you, like everyone in my tribe of solo acts, our tribe of solo acts. We've tried to survive by hook or crook, you know, make the most of it. No, I, I hear you. The, it's interesting because like of recent, Schitt's Creek also with a Second City alums, Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara. Brilliant show. Eugene Levy, you know, I used to do, um, when I was on stage, I wanted Lombard Street, they would invite me to do some roles on, on the series. I show up from time to time. I remember one particular day, it was a modeling of the night that we were doing. And... Eugene Levy was in the chair 
and seven in the morning, getting Henry Kissinger makeup put on him. I watched him. He came in talking like himself, man, a few words, and he began working on the accent. And then later in the afternoon, he began working on the slur because he had to play Henry Kissinger as drunk. And then Kissinger gets angry, but he's angry, laughing drunk. And Marty Short was working on a skating imitation of Howie Mandel. And I remember watching him as a kid, and I had to play some kind of character. Don't forget, you can't talk like this, something like that. We were just guests on the panel. And I remember thinking, these people are consummate professionals who will settle for nothing less than perfection. There wasn't a moment that wasn't delivered with absolute conviction to the craft. Yeah, they're incredible. The SCTV, I remember watching growing up and Eugene Levy, all of them, John Candy, Martin Short. And Kimmel was very deferential when he hosted the night at the Elgin. I hope it comes on pretty soon, you know, on Netflix. I don't know why it hasn't, but anyway, uh, he was very deferential. And you don't you don't think, I mean, going up to Magder Studios, I mean, when I was being asked to be on the show, it's like, oh, wow, I got rent covered. Bonus. I got to pay a gig. Nice. Something to supplement the 350 bucks a week I'm getting paid for being on stage at the fire hall. So many years ago, of course. But what's great about those early days, when you were in the company of those people, you knew that there was a higher standard than just a cheap joke. You knew that there was a standard to the art form that one could aspire to. Not all of us are going to thread that needle, but at least you know there's something to aim for. When I began to find my voice, which took a long time, once I did get comfortable in my own skin in front of that solo spot, I, I had the time to reflect back on those early days and go, oh, yeah, 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 this was something I assimilated. This was a standard I assimilated. I was so honored to be asked to warm up that room with 2,500 Torontonians come to laud their hometown heroes. That is really cool. One of the reasons I brought up besides the SCTV connection, it was interesting because Schitt's Creek was Canadian born and then blew up in the United States, yeah. which you don't, from a yeah. TV show type point of view, you don't, you don't see that that often. You see the occasional thing like on Netflix, like Lupin or something like that from another country. Not too often. You can count on one hand, right? I mean, people in the States, I mean, Wayne's World was basically based on Mike's teenage years in Scarborough. He just changed the name to Aurora, Illinois. Right, right, right. But, you know, the sentiments, the soul, the the stories, they were all derivative of that experience. Having watched your stand up and this catches from the special, you're amazing. And like, here's the thing that's incredible to me. Tommy Boy, you're rolling Tommy Boy, right? So the cop yeah. that, you know, they're in the bank, right? And like, yeah, everybody brings up Tommy Boy, man. It's amazing. It's been 20 years since I've done that. Here's what's amazing about it. If I may just compliment you for a second is a lot of times Please. when you watch something and it's funny and you go back and then years later you go, oh, that was that person. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And you go back, maybe you look and you're like, or I'll be doing interview. I'll do being prepped for this podcast and I'll see, oh, they were in this thing. I go, oh, yeah, I saw that episode. Oh, yeah, that was them, wasn't it? I didn't have to go back. I mean, I literally remembered that entire scene and then the cutback scene where you're explaining. Oh, thanks, man. Thank you. That makes me feel good. That's that's very heartfelt. Thank you so much. And I'm, it's not just like that showbiz stroke. Oh, thank you very much. I'm glad you're proud of my work. I mean, I'm serious. I can't get a fucking agent, buddy. I can't get an agent. Wow, that's that's someone's big mess. Thank you very much. You know, I've done very well without one, but it's 
it's just so bizarre. Like, what? What do you want? And so you talk to some. I just stopped reaching out. And I said, no, no, no. I'll create another television show. Maybe I'll do something. I mean, I was supposed to shoot a film with John Cleese in Northern Ontario here in August. And uh, there was a COVID outbreak in the, on the um, on set. And uh, the weather was really bad. It was a week of biblical downpours. And John's foot had been infected and giving him trouble. But I had a real nice role in that that my friend, the director, had written me in. And over the years, you learn to take disappointment in stride because so many planets have to line up, right? But when you give me a compliment like that, and I think, well, wow, man, that's so nice. What, what is being lost in translation between me and agents then? And then I go, okay, to hell with it. It's going to turn around. I'm going to step on stage, not this fall, then January, and I'm going to fill these theaters again and channel the life force and make my living and maybe someday be able to help my kids get a down payment for their houses in a city where they can't afford it and just follow my bliss, right? Follow my bliss. And that's all I've done. And it used to depress me that people wouldn't see my potential. And now when they, they won't even take a call, I laugh at it. So it's, and I'm really proud of my book. It is, you know, sometimes I think, We'll get back to your book in a second, but like, and because you definitely should be proud of it. And it's great. It is, um, I don't know, I think like, like you should just keep calling that Netflix guy every day because everyone's calling him, right? I mean, you got to break through. I mean, you got the talent. I mean, it's like you're like this triple threat, you know, whatever number threat. Thank you. So yeah, Thanks. I would just kind of keep going there. You know what? You have to have somebody who has influence making the phone call on your behalf. That's, that's it. You know, it's like when you were a kid trying to get a summer job. Hey, this guy works for the highways. He'll get you on. Your next door neighbor worked for the highways, right? My dad was a phone company guy. The phone company had a policy where they hired the sons and daughters of employees for summer jobs. It's the only time I had ever had any drag and influence in my life of that nature, right? So that kind of helps. But I'm coming out with a brand new show, fresh out of the wrapping. I wrote two brand new shows last year during COVID in a book. So I've stayed productive, I've stayed creative, and when I can hit the ground running again, I'm going to be ready. Awesome. The book, so everyone can look it up, is All Over the Map, Rambles and Ruminations from the Canadian Road. Was this something you had started prior to COVID and then just, well, hey, this is great, now I can finish this? Yeah, yeah, it it was. For your listeners, there's an awful lot about America in it as well. You know, there's a great deal about the business, my experiences in Los Angeles, the influence of the American dream. When I met Americans for the first time as a kid in Nova Scotia growing up, it's about family. I think there's stories that have a universal ring to them as well. But I was really diligent in the days before social media of keeping journals. So if I was in a coffee shop in the morning after my run, I just, I'd crack my moleskin and write. And I had the, the good fortune that fellow travelers just seemed to want to unload their stories. And that was in the days long before I had any notoriety on television. So there was a a spirit of community that prevailed in the big wide open where people approached me with the knowledge that maybe I could, in the sharing, they wanted to make their lives matter, that they just weren't 
insignificant. And when I started out years ago, there was a great guy on NPR in, in the States. I think he lived to be about 100. His name was Studs Terkel. Remember him? No. He wrote the book, American Dreams Lost and Found. And the second book he wrote was The Last Good War. And he went around to people and just interviewed them about their life experiences. And I was really taken with those books. I mean, I used to use them for monologues and things when he used to audition as an actor. Uh, but I was really taken by the soul note that those folks shared. And I grew up in a very oral culture. People told stories. Dad uh, had a trapdoor memory for jokes. He could work a room like a seasoned comedian. It was remarkable. My house was always, though I was raised in, was always bursting at the seams with, as I say in my book, faces flush with pints of plenty. You know, these Celtic, these natural Celtic storytellers who loved a good laugh, a rival joke. So I was raised around that. Anyway, yeah, so that's, so I guess I, I had the, when the opportunity came to hear their stories and they would just start talking to me, I knew that there was something special about it. So I thought there's something going on here with my travels across the country that's greater than the gig that brought me there. This was the hidden boon. This was what Joseph Campbell talks about in Hero of a Thousand Faces. When you cross the threshold to a wider world of wonders and finally decide to follow your bliss, these magical kingdoms open up for you, challenges as well. And you have your mentors, you have your talismans, you have your guides, you have people who impede you and those who progress your journey. And these people who I met in my travels were merely manifestations of these archetypes that Campbell talks about in that seminal book of his, which I read twice. First time I wasn't ready for it, but later on, now it's been borrowed from so many different aspects and screenwriting and storytelling, catchphrases and such. But another thing that stayed with me was from that book is a recognition of death is a celebration of life. And I knew that I only had one run here and I'm going to make it matter. And the inertia of Los Angeles, the constantly waiting for the agent to phone, the constant audition, I think I took 87 before I got one, the constant hoping, 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 trying, trying, trying. I wanted something far more tactile and I didn't want to be broke anymore. I stayed broke for a long time though. And I'm not a rich man, but I'm comfortable and I like that. And, uh, or I liked it until I had to dip into my credit line during COVID. <laughs> I think a lot of people did. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. So that's great. It's, it's interesting when you say death is a celebration of life, because I think a lot of times people hear that and they think about it as someone who's already died. They don't think of it, which is how I think you just meant it, which is I'm going to live so that when I do die, yes. they'll celebrate this right now. Yeah. I mean, initially, when you say the phrase, it can sound morbid, but it just means that it's time to make it matter. The older you get, the more you have to motivate for that, because absolutely, you know, you want to sit down and watch the river run, right? You want to put the fishing line in there and maybe not off by the tree to borrow from the Rockwellian tableau. But I think that it's, I think it's crucial to uh, stay engaged and to get back to Marty and Steve look at them. They're doing it. They're, they know that they know that working is what makes them happy. Carl Reiner, busy till he was 90. All right. Yep. It's in our blood. Mike used to tell a story about being at the Friars Roast down in LA. I forget who they were roasting. Was it Sinatra? Somebody like that. 
But Sid Caesar was sitting in a chair and he was and his handler was beside him or his nurse practically drooling on the table, really old. She wheels him up to the stage. He can barely make his way up the steps. As soon as he steps in front of that spotlight, he kills. He kills. And Rob Reiner, I still remember Rob Reiner that night just lauding him. Look at him. Look at that fire in the old dude's belly. It's incredible. That's right. It's like seeing Rickles at Just for Laughs. He hosted my gala set years ago, and he was 70 at the time. And he walked through the, uh, through the theater with, these, with his theme music, and it was like a matador entering the ring. He's just magnificent. I was doing a bit in those days about, uh, as it go, uh, camping's fun in the daytime. As soon as the sun goes down, though, everything that eats meat wakes up. I was pretty safe. I camped beside some Germans. God bless them, but their accent will scare anything. Ich bunt lieben the Haus in the Unst. Ich bunt lieben the Schnell. Ich bunt the Raus in the Unst. Ich bunt lieben the Eastern stuff. Rickles is backstage dying. I come backstage and an agent in Toronto goes, Rickles was laughing at your set. I went, what? Anyway, I see him. He's coming toward me. Grabs me by the cheeks. He goes, that was a great set. I couldn't fucking believe it, right? It was a great set. This cherubic little face. And he goes, how old are you? No, no. He says, uh, I got my, I didn't get my first break in show business until I was 40 years old. Kelly's Heroes. How old are you? I said, 42, sir. And his look changed from happy to the kind of face you'd give a widow standing in front of her husband's closed casket. <laughs> and he slaps me on the face and says, you're finished. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I go, I knew he was kidding me. But anyway, he's in his room afterwards. And I say to them, I said, look, I want to get Rickles to autograph my poster. Anyway, there's a guy shorter than me, which I always find incredible. Anyways, a guy shorter than me, he goes, how you doing? You should be Frank Sinatra stage manager. Come on. I take you back to see uh, Don. Come on, follow me. So he's got the walk of someone who used to, you know, who knows how to walk through a casino. So I love that. I love that shot with De Niro and Rickles in casino when they're just walking through. I read a biography on Richard Pryor and this uh, comedian said he knew how to walk into a club conviction, messianic mission. This is where I belong. Boom. Right here. Anyway. So I go into the dressing room and Rickles writes on my poster. Funny is as funny does. And you are. That's amazing. Six months later, I'm stuck in a blizzard on my way to Prince George, a Northern point in British Columbia, stuck in the kind of blizzard a Yeti wouldn't wander. My wiper fluid is frozen solid as Frankenstein's temporal lobes. My wipers won't work. And there's a gigantic leviathan of a logging truck barreling out of the snow on my side of the road. And that's the phrase that I use to keep me going. I turned off, felt the sinking, the sickening give of the wheels on the soft shoulder, and I made my gig. But that's that's what you have to believe. Funny is as funny does as you and you are there. And there's a lot of people who tell you you're not. Like agents not returning my phone calls. You can deduce that as you don't matter. Sorry, beg to differ. I do. And there's apathy. That's one of the things about America I admire is your lack of apathy. It's one of the elite motifs of the Canadian character is this apathy. And past political parties have capitalized on it. And I think it's changing, though, of course, a little more Trumpism. That disease has kind of spread north somewhat. 
we'll see if it has any legs. You know, there used to be a saying that there's no such thing as a bad meeting in Los Angeles. It's like when I talked to Jeff, who who set up this interview, I went, oh, wow, man, it's great talking to Americans. You guys make me feel bulletproof. And they understand, they understand talent. And here's the other thing, too. And I may be incurring the wrath of whatever uh, whatever people are listening from Canada, but I think a lot of Canadian comedians would agree with me, is our art form is paid lip service in this country. It's not respected. And uh, even Groucho Marx said comedians are always going to be eaten at the little table. Even when Bill Murray won his uh, Academy Award for um, uh, Lost in Translation, he said, uh, you drama guys living on your island, which broke Pacino up. But it's true. I mean, drama, uh, what was it? Um, What's that great saying of that vaudevillian comedian? Uh, There's a British vaudevillian who said, comedy is the longest apprenticeship in the world. Nobody understands the great set of steel cojones you need to step in front of that mic on your first amateur night with the audacity to believe that you're a comedian and deal with the coiled contempt of quiet that's coming up from the audience whose silence is screaming, get the fuck off. And so you, you persevere. And the longer you stay in the profession, the more comfortable you become in your own skin too. You know, it's why you're saying, fuck them. So what? They don't get me. So what? I'm going to work soon again. I'm going to be in front of an audience and hearing laughs again. Don Rickles writing that. He didn't have to write it. And, and nope. he could have written anything. Give up. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I told you you're 40. I thought I said you're finished. That's what he could have written. Right. Right. But I think in his way, that was he went the other direction. And, you know, it's it's a theme I, I hear a lot when I talk to people. It's there's like one thing that people say that just helps keep them moving forward. And people don't realize like how powerful or negative words can be. And like the right words at the right time can just keep you going. Well, I've always I've always encouraged you know, my father had a way uh, of encouraging me to, you know, as well as he could say, Jesus, Ronnie, stop whistling. You can't whistle. You can do other things. But whistling, Jesus, you can't whistle. He's a feisty little Newfoundlander. But, you know, I'd be playing hockey and I'd, and I'd get off the ice and he'd go, you got the winning assist. You made the winning play. I didn't get the goal, but I got the winning assist. I got the winning play. Yeah. The assist, the assist is where it's at. Sometimes it's you and sometimes it's okay to make someone else look good. But it's still you, as long as you're part of the yeah. team. Yeah, it's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kelly Conley also influenced me uh, or, or confirmed what I'd already known. And I put this in the book. And it was one of the great things about performing at Just for Laughs was you got to be around your heroes. And I saw Billy Conley and I went up to him and I said, how did I? It was a post-show party. And he was standing there like the, like the sage wandering pilgrims seek for words of wisdom, standing tall above the crown, chewing on a cigar. It looked like he'd rather be anywhere but... So I told him, I said, look, uh, the only reason I'm here is because I, I saw your one-man show on HBO during some pretty lean years in Los Angeles, the beginning of a long, lean struggle in Los Angeles. And it was my St. Paul epiphany on the road to Damascus. And he took the cigar out. He goes, I hope you don't open with that, do And uh, I said, no, no. And I said, look, how did a Glaswegian welder become an international sensation in comedy? And he looked at me, he goes, that's a question about fame, to hell with fame. Just sing your song, sing your song. I guess that singing my song is what I've been doing all these years, singing my song. That was in 2007. I'm still doing it. Once this COVID is over, I think it's time to, time to break away into a bigger pond. I don't know whether or not America is going to be interested in seeing a 64-year-old guy talk about dating in midlife, but I'll give it a whirl. Well, speaking for all of America, 
we're interested in being entertained. And so I think there's this weird moment where, yes, ageism used to be a thing. And like once you reach a certain age, but, but I, for some reason, it feels like that's not the case now. So you come out swinging, sing that song. We're going to all be ready to hear it. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, brother. My pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you for hanging out with me. This was great. I had a great time. Well, let's plug that book before I go. I'm shameless in that regard. Do you want to do it? Do you want to take the honors? Yeah, my book is called All Over the Map, Rambles and Ruminations from the Canadian Road. And it starts uh, selling September the 28th. It's available on Amazon and uh, Barnes and Noble on the shelves in America, as well as uh, the Penguin Random House website. And it's also available in audio book form and ebook. But if you get the audio, you get to get the Canadian vernacular that's influenced by my maritime upbringing. So there you go. It's the kind of thing, if you listen to, you'd want to have a drink of scotch while you did. I think the audio version sounds amazing. And it's funny when you say Barnes and Noble, it's going to be at Barnes and Noble. I miss going to bookstores and like feeling books like Amazon's great. We have deliveries every day, whatever. But man, being able to walk into a rainy Sunday in November, a good bookstore that reeks of history. Come on. And you'll walk out with seven of them and you might read two. Exactly. Yeah. It's just, there's nothing better just being around books. So, all right, everyone get the books. I'm going to put, Ron, I'm going to put your website and all the links in the show notes. So everyone everyone can, uh, it's ronjames.ca. My first CA, not.com everyone, right? I almost got.com, but I was a little late. The, uh, other Ron James is, uh, runs a Long Island orchestra and he does weddings. The real Ron James. .ca. Let's do it. Not playing a clarinet in a wedding band. It was an honor. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks. Stay well. Stay well, brother. All right. How amazing was Ron James? So many great stories. It's always great to talk to a legend. Definitely get a copy of his book. It's great. All over the map. Rambles and ruminations from the Canadian road. All the ways we mentioned in the interview, I'll put links in the show notes. You know where the show notes are. Just go to jeffisfunny.com or any of the platforms and the show notes are all there with links so you can get to it really quickly. Well, with the interview complete, that can only mean one thing. We're nearing the end of the show. We're almost at the end of episode 76. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. Time just flies when I'm having fun with all of you guys. I know, right? But it's not over yet, right? I mean, because we still got one more thing to do. We still have a trending hashtag from the family of hashtag games at hashtag roundup to go over. That's right. Hashtag roundup. Follow hashtag roundup on Twitter at hashtag roundup. Download the free hashtag roundup app on the Apple or Google Play Store app stores. Play along with us. And one day, one of your tweets may show up on a few future episode of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Jawaskin Show. Fame and fortune await you. To celebrate having a Canadian legend on my show, I went to one of our weekly games that's a Canadian-based game, Moose Chuckle Tags, and their Canadian hashtag, hashtag Canada's Guilty Browser History, had to theme the hashtag with Canada. Sorry, not sorry. So, I'm going to read off some hashtag Canada's Guilty Browser History tweets. They inspire you. Go to Twitter, tweet your own. I'll look for it. As always, all these tweeters will be retweeted at Jeff Dwoskin Show on Twitter. They'll be listed in the show notes. Retweet them, show them some love. And one day you'll be on the show and they'll show you some love. That's how the world works, ladies and gentlemen. All right, so here is some amazing hashtag Canada's Guilty Browser History tweets. 
What happens if I stop apologizing? I don't even think Google would have a response to that in Canada. Here's another one. Is there a tunnel under Lake Michigan so I can smuggle maple syrup for a profit? Oh, illegal Canada doings. Didn't think it even existed. Here's another hashtag Canada guilty browser history tweet. What's the location of Schitt's Creek? Ooh, that's a good one. If you find that one out, let me know. Also, here's another guilty browser history. Donut porn. Ooh. How many R's and sorry? <laughs> what if I don't like apologizing? Ooh, might come back. Are you sure you're Canadian? All great. Hashtag Canada's guilty browser history tweets. Examples of things that Canadians would find in their browser history that they would feel super guilty about. How to explain the metric system to Americans. Ooh, you're so kind to even want to explain it to us. Is it weird that I don't like strange brew? That might actually get your Canadian citizenship revoked. And finally, the most guilt-written Canadians browser history would all have this. How to call the Mounties on your downstairs neighbors. Oh, Canadian Karens. They don't really exist, do they? Oh, man. All right. Well, those are some hashtag Canada's guilty browser history tweets. Definitely, if you see some Canadians looking guilty, they may have those in their browser history. So definitely check for us. Report back. And we'll be waiting to hear from you. Well, that's it. That's the end of the hashtag. So that means it's the end of the show. How did episode 76 end so quickly? I don't know. It was so exciting and now it's over. I guess we'll just have to look forward to episode 77. I guess if you haven't listened to all 76 episodes of the podcast, you can catch up. So much to do. Thanks again to my guest, Ron James. It was so great talking to Ron. Definitely check out Ron's book. And thank you to all of you listening for coming back week after week. Can't thank you enough. Means the world to me. And I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Jeff Dwoskin Show with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Now go repeat everything you heard and sound like a genius. Catch us online at thejeffdwoskinshow.com or follow us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show. And we'll see you next time.